Welcome to Threshold Stories, crossing thresholds one story at a time. I'm your host, Jeff Gora. Tim Wilkinson, welcome to Threshold Stories. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to somebody like me. Um, I tell I tell people that I speak mm-hmm. with uh, that I'm just a regular dude doing different things, but they quickly remind me that I'm not a regular dude, and I'm okay with that. So you know, anybody with the title of Knight of Suffer Landria does not simultaneously earn the title of regular dude. Um, but you know, I'm going to play back a wee bit of time here as to where I met you. Um, and I can't quite sort out the where, but as I sort through social media and look at who we have in common, they're basically all sort of nut job people. I mean, people who do ultra distance events, long course triathlon, ultra marathon, and all things that go with it. So we definitely have that in common. And, um, it's inevitable when you start these conversations with people about, you know, their extreme things, whether or not, you know, they're chessboard collectors or you know, hot rod aficionados or whatever the case may be. There's a story there, right? There's this, how did they get their story? And um, I can only imagine that our readership is probably very interested in how did Tim Wilkinson end up in this bucket of ultra competitor? When I say ultra competitor, that doesn't mean above competitor. It's person who does ultra distance. So kind of take us through your um, early years of your life, Tim. Take us through... um. You know, those athletic things that you did that all of a sudden made you bump into this wall that said, you know, I want to go further than most kids go. Yeah. Okay. Well, it it started back in 1981. I was nine years old at the time. Mm -hmm. That's when uh, in May, May 19, May 17, 1981, my Mm -hmm. mom passed away. Mm. And four months later, my dad asked me if I wanted to do a Terry Fox run and it was Mm -hmm. a 10 kilometer run. And I thought, oh, heck yeah, I want to run. I love running. So for everybody's never, listening, say, whereabouts are we when we're talking about this 10K? When we're on planet Earth, are you at this time? I This was in, I grew up in Lake Couchin, B.C., in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, this run was in Duncan, B.C. It is a 20-minute drive from my home. From okay, my so home a local run by all measures. Yeah. Okay. And so when I... Did this run? I did it in flat-soled court shoes, Nike, <laughs> um, not knowing what running shoes were. And I, well, I finished, but the mm-hmm. next day I couldn't figure out why my calves and Achilles were just <laughs> killing, and I couldn't walk properly. But somehow, mm-hmm. after that was all done, in spite of those sorenesses, I. I think I found myself. I, I enjoyed running. I wanted to continue it, and that snowballed from there. I went into uh, half marathons and then jumped right into a 50-mile run after that. So how old are we talking about here when you jumped into the first half marathon? I would have been 18. All I was right. 18 when I did my first half marathon. And then For the record, uh, I finished it, that. Was that, in a, was that legal drinking age in Canada at the time? No, no, still not legal, legal, (laughs) no legal drinking age is 19. Okay. So you were able to go the distance without getting a beer at the end, right? (laughs) Correct. That's crazy. We have that. We have the same fiasco here. (laughs) All right. So you said you went right from half marathon to a 50 mile. So that's a tripling in distance and then some, because we're going from just for the listener's sake, half marathon is 13.1 miles. Yeah. Uh, all of the, of a true, you know, I say true. There's multiple choices here. The 
ultra marathon you picked was a 50 miler. So Correct. how did you say, well, if I can do that, maybe I can go more than three times as much the next time out. <laughs> Cause that's what's well, make, my, that's the crazy part of this, Tim. Yes, it is. In my 17 year old brain, mm-hmm. I thought I can do this. I've, I can run a half mar. I've run a half marathon. Mm-hmm. I, how, how much harder can running <laughs> more than three times a distance be? Right. Um, you know, if you're a knowing. weightlifter, right? If you were a weightlifter and you just finished benching 175 and you said, guys, let's go right to 490. <laughs> 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 There'd be a whole lot of heads turning. And you're matter of factually, you're basic. What you just said was if it's left, right, left, right, left, right for something like 15,000 steps, because that's what a half marathon is, right? Plus or minus. Yes. What the yes. heck? What's wrong with 50,000? Yes. And that's not the crazy part. The crazy part was my training. Okay. I didn't, I did had zero formal training, nobody to talk to about it. Nobody around had run that far before that I knew of. Mm-hmm. Everybody I grew up with, they were, they had, at this point, they discovered alcohol. Um, they discovered pot. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm playing sports still and, and, and enjoying what I was doing. And I thought, well, I'm going to do this. My training was two hour runs. Every other day, and at that time, the distance would have been around uh, about 22, 24 kilometers. And Mm -hmm. I don't know the exact distance because I had nothing to measure it other than a car. So the routes that I ran were traveled by a car. So you were you were strictly road in your training. Well, so that fifty mile ultra that you did was that an off road or a road run? It was about sixty uh, percent off-road, forty percent pavement. So truly untrained. Truly untrained. I knew all I knew for sure was that I signed up. That's... I didn't know about nutrition. Mm-hmm. I didn't know about um, clothing. What suitable clothing to wear? I didn't know about chafing. I didn't know about. Oh my goodness! All of that. Uh, my. I lost 23 pounds. So you did a before and after way, which is makes sense for those of you who are thinking about ultra distance, anything's doing that is a smart idea because it lets you track not only nutritional variations, but hydration as well. Correct. Because we're supposed to learn from every one of these races. So you get chafed, you get sore, you probably had clothing that was rubbing on you because it got really soaked there somewhere between mile 20 and 40, right? Correct. Just from all sweat. And you didn't have yeah. like, you didn't have a change of clothes at an aid station or anything nope. like that. Nope. There was no aid stations. Uh, the only support you had was your own crew vehicle if you ha- wanted that. And I was lucky, luckily enough to have my dad follow me. So and, uh, did, did he say anything to you throughout this run that you can still remember? Cause you know, a lot of ultra runners first time around, they have moments that were precious to them. Words said snacks they received signs they saw. Did you have any of that? I did. I, my dad was, my dad was a man of few words, but when he did speak, mm-hmm. it resonated. It, you hung on to everything he said mm-hmm. and it just, okay. It mag, it was magnified when he said it. Mm-hmm. Um, things like, why are you walking? What's the matter? And then these aren't, these aren't bad words. These are just his way of encouraging you, mm-hmm. sure. showing you that you're, 
doing what you're doing. You're walking. How come you're walking? And then and then that turned it. Okay, well I'm going. Okay, I'm gonna run now. Hmm. And uh, he, I was in. A, it was about mile forty. Mm-hmm. I was in rough shape. And my dad said, "What's the matter?" I said, "I'm I, I'm hurting. My leg, my thighs are, my thighs are fried. I this is tough. <laughs> Quitting wasn't an option. It never crossed my head. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad just had he had a big bucket of uh, a big cooler full of ice water with mm-hmm. juice boxes. Keep in mind, nutrition wasn't a thing to me. Right, I had right. juice boxes, apples, oranges, bananas, <laughs> chocolate bars." Um, okay. And he grabbed a bucket of ice water, pulled the back of my shorts out, and dumped it down my shorts. And I just, oh, and then, uh, yeah, that got me going. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. That was kind of a and gift, that, you know? Oh, yes. It was, it, especially when I wasn't expecting it because he just taught, he was talking to me and then he disappeared. I was talking to another friend that had showed up. And uh, just basically said, hurry up and finish. we got to go out tonight. And That's crazy. And I said, okay. <laughs> yeah. So my dad come back and I feel the back of my shorts being pulled out and then that went down my shorts. So let's fast forward a bit from there to um, triathlon. So the ultra career starts as a teenager. And now sometime in the not too distant future, you're putting a bicycle and uh, a wetsuit into the equation. How did that all come about? It came about at around, I would say, around 2000, year 2000, when Simon Whitfield was in uh, mm-hmm. in the Olympics in Australia, and I, I was watching that, and I thought, that is amazing, watching him race. He made it look so easy, mm. um, and I thought, I can do that. I can mm. swim, I can bike, I can run, but I didn't have all the tools. And mm-hmm. I was talking to my then girlfriend, my now wife, Trish, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. told her that I wanted to do a triathlon, mm-hmm. not knowing distances, not knowing training again, but right. I knew I wanted to do I wanted to do them. So I went to the bike shop and got a bike and started riding. Told the guy that I wanted what I wanted, and he put a road put some arrow bars on a road bike, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, I went out and started riding found races, uh, local races within driving distance. And, Mm -hmm. uh, okay, I'm signed up for a race, which it was a half Ironman. So your first uh, triathlon was a half iron? Yes. Okay, boys and girls, don't do that at home. (laughs) (laughs) Most people don't just go right into a four to six hour event on day zero when they say, I'm going to try triathlon. So did yeah. that come about because there wasn't another choice or you just decided I'm going to do it kind of like the way you picked your first uh, ultra being a 50 mile off road? There were choices, but I didn't know of the choices. My first year, I think I did about five, six races varying in distances, mm-hmm. the longest being a half Ironman. Uh, there were a couple of Olympic ones, a couple of sprints, mm-hmm. but to me, I was just getting started, and then they'd be they'd be over, and I thought, well, heck, I don't. This ain't enjoyable enjoyable to me. I wanna mm-hmm. I wanna go longer. You know, so, um, it's interesting. In our country, we got the NASCAR car um, sport event. That's you know, multi billion dollar industry. Oddly enough, the first event of the year is the biggest one, and often considered the most uh, prestigious one, the Daytona Five Hundred. Yeah. And then from there, I'm not going to say it goes downhill, but guess what? It goes downhill. <laughs> 
<laughs> so we'd start with the, the you know the creme de la creme, and then it kind of goes down from there. It sounds like in your triathlon world, you just jumped right in to what's considered a very challenging distance that a lot of people train for. Yeah. This isn't an exaggeration to say it. Some people train for a year for their first half iron. Yeah. So for those yeah. listening in, that half iron, what were those numbers on that on your half iron? Do you remember what your swim, bike, run distances were? The distance of the swim was 1.9 kilometers, 90-kilometer bike, 21.1-kilometer run. Mm-hmm. And training, again, wasn't an exact science to me. All I knew was that I had to build my way up to being able to cover those distances. Mm-hmm. It didn't occur to me to put a couple of the two, any two of the uh, the two events together in training. But when I showed up race morning, okay, mm-hmm. I know I can swim that far. I can sure. bike that far. I can run that far. Oh yeah. I got to put them all together today. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when I got out of the water mm-hmm. and then on the bike and I felt, okay, this is, this is fun. Mm-hmm. The first 70 kilometers. And then it started losing steam and then it was felt like i was riding on square wheels coming in the last 20 kilometers sure you think that was nutrition or fatigue it it was uh, definitely fatigue because uh my legs were feeling it but Mm -hmm. i the nutrition i thought i had figured out which well all i at the time i had gatorade gatorade was the thing to have, I guess, in my mind, okay, right. I'm, I'm safe. I got Gatorade. What can go wrong? <laughs> I'm laughing because I think I've made that same mistake saying I've got this one nutritional thing and that's going to get me yeah. through all my events. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. Dysfunctional, no concern for my state, the, the environment, the change in temperature, humidity. I just went with the same thing no matter what. Yes. Um, and then I, I got the bike done, got into the mm-hmm, run and, mm-hmm. I forgot my body forgot how to run the first couple of kilometers. <laughs> I'd never trained how to do a brick, and well, I never knew what a brick was at that time. Mm-hmm. And then got into the run, and then uh, well, started walking. Did did a walk run, which I which was totally foreign to me because at that point all my runs were start finish finish start runs finish runs walk at the end, and mm-hmm. well. My my finish time was six oh four, and I was just like, oh yeah, I I was hooting and hollering to high heaven, crossing the finish line. People are looking at me, what drugs are you on, dude? Right. And uh, it went from there that I and I enjoy this stuff, but I'm not done yet. I wanted to go longer, like mm-hmm, at sure. the risk of sounding arrogant. I that distance was short to me. You could go. The half iron was, you know, a, 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 an appetizer in your mind. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So let's um let's um jump back out of a second and let's jump to the uh, emotional side. You might some might even call the spiritual side. When you and I were talking before, you were talking about how sometimes in the midst of these races you feel a connection back to your mom. Tell people about that. Well, my mom, she was I was very close to my mom. Mm-hmm. I've got an older brother and a younger sister. Um my mom passed away when I was nine, but mm-hmm. in that, in those short few years, you know, your first probably what, three, four, five years, you don't have much of a memory, but mm-hmm. from five, from five to nine, I, I had a whole bunch of memories of her. And I, even though that I had two other siblings, it seemed like my mom had all the time in the world for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
we'd go places. She'd take me take me to stores. I'd shop with her. Just right. being with her was mm. excellent time for me. Um, I shared cups of tea with her, and after she passed away, I for the longest probably. 30 years, I never had another cup of tea because that was my thing with mm. my mom. And, and that wasn't going to change, but it's since changed. Mm. So um, She used to come watch me play hockey. Um, I was always, growing up, mm. I was always small, the smallest player on the ice. Mm-hmm. So if I got bumped off the puck or knocked down, my mom would really get really upset. My dad would kind of have to calm her down and say he's fine he's wearing equipment he's strong he can handle it Mm. and then uh when she started uh getting sick i at looking back i started seeing things and well i didn't know why but i started understanding that she wasn't gonna be around Mm. so you ever have race do a race for her? Absolutely. All my races, she's on my mind. She's in my head. She's on, on my shoulders. She's traveling behind me, pushing me along. I go into a race and without fail, I take a few seconds after I got myself all prepared for the race, whether it be a running ultra or a triathlon of various distances, I take a moment. I have a word with my mom. Mm-hmm. Tell her to watch over me, keep me safe, and keep me injury free because I'm going to finish for you. When I was young, mm-hmm. my motivator was I would do a race, and if I ran fast enough, that she would somehow come back. That's that's how, as crazy as that sounds, in my head. It made sense. If I run this race fast enough, faster than I've ever done before, mm-hmm. my mom will come back. And it always worked. And to this day, I still do it. That's, it's, it motivates me. She's coming back. She's going to come say hi to me. Mm. Wow. So every time I've done a world championship, I've always dedicated it to somebody. And the, oh, so far, everybody's been living, but of the people whom I've dedicated it to, three of them have since passed away. And um, there's a space that gets created when you do that, when you do the gift of a major event for a single human being who basically yeah. didn't really do anything in your training. They were just, you know, they made an impact on your, on your soul, right? Yeah, absolutely. In the past. Absolutely. And that comes out when... Um, you're in the midst of that fourth hour of a heart rate of 162 and (laughs) right. And because your brain starts playing games and it starts drawing knots in four dimensions and folding pieces of paper three times, three ways at the same time. (laughs) And you're visualizing exactly what it looks like, right? You know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. um, That changes you, right? I mean, it sure does. You, you, you think about that person and whatever's going on with you at that moment of the race, you whether it be some you're have you're on the highest of high during a race, the lowest of low, you think about them, you're with them, they're with you, and nothing else matters. And suddenly you're five and ten kilometers further along in the race, mm-hmm. and 
you just, okay, this helped me. I'm going to continue. You ever, um, I, I have a couple of times I've cried on the long bike legs. You had that? I have lots of times, more than I could count. I've, I've been riding so long and so hard that my why is because of them. I totally get it. I know there are people on here who are thinking we're nuts, but I cannot. I'm putting myself, I'm going to tell a story here, kind of to go with your stories. It was my um, first long course duathlon world championship, and they had it in Switzerland. And if you can imagine, the flat, the bike course wasn't flat. (laughs) (laughs) And there was one specific hill, and the second time we hit it, it was hailing. Mm-hmm. And um, we had to descend, and I don't know the exact distance. I'm going to say 2K, but it's just a series of switchbacks, right? And you're at and you're at warp speed, right? I mean, your impulse power is unnecessary. You don't need to <laughs> pedal. You know, if you had an odometer, you'd be scared. <laughs> yeah. And you're and you're swooshing down out of that. And um, of all the crazy things in the world, my favorite pet chicken, if you can believe this, this concept of pet chicken. You follow me on social, you know I'm a chickenaholic. The um. <laughs> It had died not long before the race, and I had to just, you know, bury it and move on. Well, the memories mm-hmm. of that chicken came up, and I started grieving the death yeah. of my chicken. And I, you know, I was bawling like a six-year-old who'd just been cut from his first team that he'd ever tried out for, a 16-year-old he ever tried out for. Yeah. And um, I don't even remember the descent. And it was yeah. probably the scariest part of the entire wow. event because I was so freaking fixated wow. on a dead pet that I had yeah. not yet grieved. Now, keep in mind, Tim, <laughs> this pet didn't just die. It had been dead for a month or two. Wow. All right. And, that, and, it came, yeah. and it came to my mind. Um, wow. It's like I feel like I'm finishing a life event sometimes when I'm doing an ultra distance. I'm finishing something that got started in the real world. Yeah. But it didn't get finished in the real world. Does that make sense? It certainly does. It certainly does. Uh, I've been on rides where I, I, I listen to music when I ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can hear traffic. I've got the music on, but I do, I can not loud that I can't, can't hear what's going on around me. Good. And I hear songs like, uh, specifically songs like a Fleetwood Mac song. Mm-hmm. And my few memories I have with my mom and dad is that they grew up listening to hmm. Fleetwood Mac and that songs, Fleetwood Mac songs would come on my, on my phone and I'd listen, be listening and I'd have some tears and I'd be, okay, I've got to pay attention to what's going on here. My mm-hmm. eyes are all watery. The road's mm-hmm. straight, straight, poker straight. I've got to keep going straight. Okay. I'll be all right for now. Looking for rocks or such things sure. that are going to, pop your tire but uh yeah so it's things like that and then they becomes a good cry and then i gotta stop and wipe my lenses Mm -hmm. like the event it's all worked out but it it definitely had a good cry and then along with the cries comes the memories of what you've done with them so what i'm going to say next no one knows i don't even think my wife knows this so i switched on my bike to a visor and mm-hmm. I got, so I have an aero helmet with a built-in visor and the visor is flipped. So you can flip it up and down in case you don't need it or whatever that comes right out. And, um, that played a role in why I switched to a visor. Cause sometimes the tears get flowing. And if I'm wearing just glasses on the, yeah. with the helmet, it's yeah. problematic for the yeah. exact reasons you just described. But now that <laughs> I've switched to a visor, 
<laughs> I don't have that problem anymore. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Maybe so that's let's what what, let's do. fast forward a little bit, Tim, here, because the um, event that made me want to bring you onto the show in the first place was um, not only you competing in an Ultraman, but then not long after that, competing in the Ultraman World Championship. So um, yeah. tell everybody what is the Ultraman World Championship? Where's it at? And what was it like? Ultraman World Championships is a uh, it's competed in every year in Hawaii on the big island of Kona. It is uh, at the end of November 29, and December 1st. It's over three days. Mm-hmm. Day one, you swim 10 kilometers, and then you bike 145 kilometers. Day two, you bike 275 kilometers. Mm-hmm. Day three, you run 84.4 kilometers, two marathons back to back for a total of 515 kilometers. Each day you have 12 mm-hmm. hours to complete the day. If you if you exceed the 12 hours, you're disqualified, but they don't stop you from continuing on. You can continue on to finish the race, but you're not recognized as an official finisher. So in this this world championship, you um you did pretty well, didn't you? I did. I I did. The goal was to finish. I came 19th overall. Um, and that that was I was I was over the moon for that because I knew mm-hmm. the terrain for the for the right for the ride on the first and second day was going to absolutely scorch my legs and and it did, <laughs> so which made which in turn made the run almost a death march. Hmm. So um, talk about a little bit when you where did where was the um where was the ten k swim that you did? It was it started at. Uh, Dig, dig me beach mm-hmm. right in Kona, right across the street from our hotel. Mm-hmm. And you, it's just eight point A to point B straight shot in theory, straight shot mm-hmm. because currents are a factor. Waves are a factor. And did you wear a wetsuit? Yes, it was wetsuit legal. Mm-hmm. Um, ask me when the first time I swam in the ocean. When was the first time you swam in the ocean? Two days before. Well, all right then. You had a forty-eight hour head start on some of your competition, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That when we got uh, got to Hawaii, we were there for about. I had five full days of climatizing myself mm-hmm. before race day. Uh, two days before, two days before the race, I went and put my wetsuit on, went down to the ocean, and went and swam probably three kilometers. Mm-hmm. And just in the, there was other swimmers, so I didn't stray too far because I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if I was going to hear that familiar dun 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 dun, dun and mm-hmm. get some jaws right. thinking I'd be a good snack. That's so <laughs> when you're when I was swimming in swimming in the mm-hmm. ocean, you uh, your breathing pattern is different than in a lake. Where in a lake you can mm-hmm. exhale in the water, take a little bit of water in your mouth and be fine with it, and then turn when you turn to take a breath, you're good, mm-hmm. and then repeat. Well, I did that in the ocean, and I got myself a little bit of <laughs> salt water drink, and I didn't like it. So sure, it yeah. So it, it was a steep learning curve. So I figured that out the first swim there. Then the next day I went for another swim about the same distance, mm-hmm. and then I said okay this is this is what i'm going to do for my race tomorrow this is okay i got this figured out 
So, um, so, um, because it's a multi-day, you know, even, yeah. I, you know, the Ironman brand, the Ironman distance is, you know, all yeah. single day stuff. So what yeah. was different for you in handling the multi-day aspect of this? Different was to manage your efforts. Um, you can go, you can go like stink on any of the days, but then you'll most likely pay for it on the following day. So the goal is to put out enough effort that you have enough gas left in the tank to start the next day and continue and repeat the third day. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first day, it it was a tough swim. I, my swim time was about an hour longer than my previous Ultraman in Penticton four months earlier. Mm-hmm. July, August, September, October. Yeah, four months earlier due to the currents and uh, way and uh, swells in the ocean. Mm-hmm. But everybody dealt with that, but it was just completely new to me. So, mm-hmm. And then from there you get out of the water and then it was an instant one hour of climbing. So the heart rate was maxed out right from go. On the bike? And yes. And once you get to level level ground, the heart rate took a little bit to calm down and settle down. And then it was okay. Get in the arrow bars, get settled and continue your day. Mm. So how long did the 145 K bike take on day one? It took me just over nine hours. I believe it was for the, the, for the bike over, or the whole get up. The whole day took me 11 hours, 52 minutes. Okay. Um, I say that because that, that that's like a 50 forever. mile ultra. That's like doing a 50 mile ultra. That kind of for time. some people, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I say I say eleven fifty two because I was the last official finisher on that day. Wow! There's a guy, the guy that came in behind me. He missed the cutoff by two minutes. Ugh. Wow! And, but at least yeah, you're old per- enough at this time to have a beer with him. Yes, correct. If if I drank, right. So day two, <laughs> you get off. You you go to you do what you can to recover, right? And then you get up yep. in the morning. And you have this fixed start time for the bike, right? Yeah. So what was that? What was your body doing walking up toward, you know, the equivalent of day two start? Surprisingly, my legs were fine. They were sore, but oh, not walking around like an old man hobbling, mm-hmm. just struggling to get to it, to do it the next coach, to the next chair and sit down and rest and then get up and do it again. My legs were fine. Uh, I knew that I was going to feel them because of the elevation on that day. Mm-hmm. But, uh, how many, day, how many, knew, feet, how many meters of vertical on that day? Do you remember? I believe it was 7,600 feet feet of so elevation, 2000 plus meters of climbing for those in the metric world. Yeah. So 275 K you convert that to miles. You're looking at 150, 160 miles, right? Yes. Holy cow. That's a long day. That's a tour de France sort of day. A big Tour de France, the bigger than a Tour de France day. Yes. So how many hours did that bike ride take you? Took me 11 hours, 10 minutes. Wow, so you had 50 minutes to spare. Yes. Wow. So Again, again it, was a, it was a tough day. Um, elevation was up around 8,600 feet. Mm-hmm. Wow. And a cum- cumulatively, it was starting to take its toll on my legs. Mm-hmm. Um, I did do train hill training here back home, but there's nothing that compares to hills in Kona. Mm. 
So did you like go all the way over to Hilo? Yep. Yeah, we circumnavigated the whole island. You want it? You want you go to a destination. You take a tour. You get right. in the vehicle. Okay. I've driven that in a car. <laughs> I just can't imagine on the bike. So fast forward it, to day it, three. You know this is the last day. Yeah. Um, so there, you've got a light at the end of the tunnel, or at the at light at the end of the trail there. Correct. And um, the gun goes off. What are you thinking? I say I'm the thinking, gun. They said go. Yes. Yes. It, there's no gun. It's just a race directors telling us okay this is where we're starting this is the direction we're headed we're starting in 10 9 okay go so there's no gun there's no big fanfare other than crews well not even our crews were there because they were sent off because the roads where we started it wasn't very much parking for vehicles so they sent all the crew off and uh, about three or four kilometers up the road and all that was there was the volunteers the race directors and the athletes so on day on day three at this point you're you know it's it's a survival mode it's nothing you're just living whatever your whatever your training gave you right yeah and and whatever willpower you you can muster up there so yes. what what do you remember about the walls you hit on day three when you're doing double marathon um I started out running well mm-hmm. my I, my goal was to run ten kilometers an hour between five and uh, about six kilometers six minute kilometers. Mm-hmm. I had held that for about the first about 60, 65 kilometers. And then the wheels started falling off and it was, <laughs> that's when it became a, became a death march. So it was, and it went, it switched from run to run, walk to walk. That's what. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Been there, and done at that. One, yes. <laughs> we all know of that. Um, there was at one point, um, one of my crew, my crew, uh, he goes by the name Six Bear on uh, social media. Mm-hmm. He ran about 70 kilometers with me and he was taking care of me, which is the crew's job first and foremost, but he wasn't, I was also paying attention to him mm-hmm. that he wasn't taking in nutrition as he should. And he was starting to pay for it. He was, when I was changing shoes or socks or shirt, he was, uh, I was paying attention to him as well. And he wasn't getting nutrition and I could see that he was hurting. Mm -hmm. And I started running and then it took him a little bit to get going. And I slowed up for him. And then uh, the next time our vehicle stopped for me, Mm -hmm. I said, get out of here. I waved him off, gave him a sharp, get out of here, get in the van. Leave me alone. So I was hoping he'd take in nutri- more nutrition that he needed to try solving his issue. But it was, it was. So a, you, you ran the last thirty on the you last you ran the last oh I say thirty, more like fifty k on your own then. Um, he no, he was with me. He was with me for about the total of seventy kilometers. He there were stretches so only, where he wasn't. Okay. okay. He wasn't with me for 10 kilometer stretches and I was using that time to talk to my parents mm-hmm. and which I always do. I'd be looking at the scenery, looking out in the ocean, imagine that they're out there cheering me on, mm-hmm. um, sitting, sitting on a rock bluff or off in the lava field, looking at me, cheering me on. Well, I, I would have real conversations, not in my head. I'd be talking to them out loud so if somebody was around me they'd be looking at me sideways who the hell are you talking to 
So that's a pretty darn incredible story right there because I, like I shared with you earlier, there's this act of healing that occurs when we're breaking ourselves down that you can't understand unless you've been there. And, um, yes. you know, most people aren't willing, Tim, to talk about what you just did. They're not willing to expose that component of being a human being who's got a damaged background and mm-hmm. coming, making something positive out of that. Yes. And um, that inspires people. It does, and that's and that's what we that's what we should all be about. Is at the end of the day, after everything's all boiled away, we're all stripped down to stripped down to nothing. Did you inspire somebody? Did you encourage somebody? And that's that's what I want to do. I want to hear people say to me, "Tim, you're you're amazing." Well, not so much amazing. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you do. Just I, say it. You do want to hear it. Tag <laughs> liar. Uh, you you inspired me. You you right. did great things for me, and that's that's what I'm after. I want to hear that. It's, well, you know what we want to do here, Tim? I want to chime in and, and hear a hear peep or two from your wife about what it's like to be married to an ultra runner for a second. Trish Wilkinson, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. You know, it's a, a rare day indeed when we get to talk with the better half of the athlete. Normally, we just get the athlete and the monologue that represents their way of thinking and their adversity and their thresholds. I love the fact that you were willing to come on the show tell us about what it's like to be married to an ultra nut job, right? Because there's <laughs> most every ultra nut job is married to somebody who's normal and sane and handles stuff. So to begin with, Trish, when you and Tim started dating, um, did you did you know of this tendency to do ultra triathlons in his distant resume? No, all I knew is that he was an ultra runner, which I learned was more the distance was more than a marathon, and mm-hmm. that's all I knew about him. At that point in time, there weren't any triathlons on the horizon. So did he talk about his ultra running with you a lot when you guys first started going out? Yes, he did. Yeah, you know there's a joke, right? It says, how do you tell if there's an Iron Man in the room? The answer is, you don't need to wait very long. They're probably going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> right? So that's how it works. That's very true. So tell me your response when you heard that Tim suggested that he wanted to go to triathlon. What did that, what was your response to that? I thought he would be great at it since he had running in his background and that's what he had always trained to do. I thought that would be a perfect sport for him, but I didn't realize how much training would be involved as the years progressed and as he did more triathlons and then the half Ironman distance and then the full Ironman distance. Mm-hmm. Um, when you, um, started, uh, I, I, I call it this resentment management, right? So when I started down this path of doing ultra competitions and what have you, I didn't jump into it until I was in my forties. Right. And, um, my wife and I struggled with resentment management is what I call it. You know, she, she would mow the grass and I would come home and, um, have expectations on me that I was going to do all the weed eating and hedging and, and burning in the burn pile and stuff like that. But instead I would come home and say, I need to eat and take an hour and a half nap, and then I'd jump on it. And, um, you know, she was a normal woman, and that I'd broken a deal we had made, and she was resentful about that, even though she understood it. So how did you guys manage the uh, resentment process? Some of it's quite similar. I would ask Tim to do something outside, whether it be cut the grass or weeded, and he'd say, well, no, not today, because I'm off for a four-hour ride. Maybe I'll do that the next day. (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, oh, well, it's raining the next day, so I guess now it's going to take another week. So right. I would get frustrated sometimes, but then just, okay, well, this is how it is. When he has time to do it, he'll do it. Right. So you guys have been doing this for a while now, so you've figured out a, a, a strategy for overcoming this resentment. And what, how does this, what's, the, what's, your, what's you two's long-term solution for this? I think not resenting each the other person for doing what they love and always being respectful and having each other's back. I think that's key. So for all of you listening in, that was the gold nugget of this podcast so far. Not resenting when the other person does what they love. Can you imagine how great the world would be if that was the MO for all of us? That was pretty inspirational stuff there. Um, so do you ever see yourself going off with Tim around the world as he signs up for Iron Man Jupiter or Iron Man Alpha Centauri as he starts going off world and stuff? No, I would say I'm going to stay home and hold the fort with the kids and make sure everything on the household front gets done. Right. And we support him from the sidelines. Yeah, you know, he truly supports you as much as he can on the social space because he fundamentally gets that without you, this doesn't work. That's right. <laughs> a little bit of humility <laughs> at the end, ladies and gentlemen. You got to add yeah. that in. Well, Trish, thanks so much for being on the show. And um, I hope some folks get something out of what you had to share. Your perspective is a unique one that we just don't hear enough of. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Well, now that we got a, a tidbit or two from Trish there about what it's like um, from her end of this, let's paint a picture, Tim, about what you see next on the horizon. So do you have any... Um, there's no double Ultraman, right? So do you have any ideas about what you're thinking you might want to be doing next? I've considered it, and I'm, well, I've am i come to a race that I want to do. Well, not a race, but a distance. Mm-hmm. Um, my, I want to do a double anvil. Tell, a tell double everybody anvil, about that so they, so they can hear what that is. A double anvil is the distance is two Ironmans back-to-back, mm-hmm. but you don't race them that way. You... The gun goes off, you do all the swimming, mm-hmm. all the bike, and then all the run. You can stop, rest, whenever you want, for as long as you want. You have a 36-hour time limit to get the day done, get the race done, and placing's determined by when you come in. So, so where's, we'll, where are some places where they have these? The one that I'm looking at right now nearest my home is in Washington State, just over the border. And so um, what time of the year is that? That one's in June, okay. uh, mid-June, I believe it is. All right, so you got day, a lot of daylight. So you yeah. won't be doing a whole lot of stuff in the dark. I'll tell you what's on my list, and that's the 503. Just Google it. It's the 503. 503. Five, the 503.com. It's a bike ride across uh, Nevada and back. And you do it on, you know, very rural-esque roads, and you have to do a lot of riding at night. Cool. Yeah, but you go across with a tailwind. Um, yeah. Or you come back with a tailwind. But the event has very much got my attention. I don't know if I would do it solo the first time through, but finding somebody to do that with. I think that's on my that's on my short list of things worth a Google. Well, that sounds intriguing. So um, I'm just going to tell everybody to Google you and find you on social if they want to connect with you and know more. And um, yeah. you're, you touched people. I can only imagine that um, the commentary regarding not just how you do the distances, but what's going on, what's coming out of your mouth, who you're talking to, what's pushing you forward as you train is um, the kind of stuff that people are going to remember for a long, 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 long time. Mm-hmm. 
But I, I want to share something with you. Um, I've done this endurance racing for a few years now. Mm -hmm. I've gotten the last few years, I've, my racing's gotten longer and longer. I want to say to people not to give up. Don't give up on a dream because of how long it's going to mm -hmm. take. Mm -hmm. Time's going to pass by anyways. Mm -hmm. I'm proof of that. i got to tell you this story. Okay. I was nine years old. My mom had just passed away. I was sitting on the couch with my dad. Mm -hmm. My dad just happened to turn on the Kona Ironman. Mm. Okay, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get emotional. Tell this story, so bear with me, okay? If you don't understand any of the words, I'll try to repeat them because this to this day it affects me. I was sitting on the couch with my dad watching the Kona Ironman. I'm nine years old. And I said to my dad, how cool would it be to race there? Not knowing what an Ironman was, not knowing a distance, not knowing where Kona was. Right. Not, and not knowing what a triathlon is and <laughs> what they're all about. My dad just said to me, he turned to me and said, someday, Tim, someday. Hmm. And that was the end of that conversation. It didn't go on from there. He didn't elaborate. He wasn't a man of many words, but as I said, things he did say, they resonated. And fast forward to 2004 when my dad was in the hospital, he was sick. Mm -hmm. And I said to my dad, you got to fight. You got to carry on. You got to come watch me race. Mm -hmm. You got to come watch me race in Kona. But I didn't, at that time, I didn't have any races that I would, mm -hmm. that would get me to Kona. So my dad just looked at me and again said, repeated the same thing he said to me back in 1981. Mm -hmm. Someday, Tim, someday. So when I mm -hmm. uh, signed up for this mm -hmm. Ultraman Canada race in Penticton, it's the same distance as the one in Hawaii. I finished the race. I had I finished the race, which meant I qualified for the world championships. But mm -hmm. I didn't tell anybody that I qualified because all that means is that you qualified. Now figure out how you're going to pay for everything. <laughs> Been there. Okay. Uh -huh. Yes. So mm -hmm. I, I just had my own cheering section inside my head that I finished. And then mm -hmm. I spoke to some friends and we I went, we, my wife and I discussed it. We went to the bank and borrowed money we don't have. Mm -hmm. And it started becoming real. I'm going to be racing in Hawaii. Mm. And racing in Hawaii is like no other. I had dreamed all these years of racing in Hawaii, 39 years of wishing, mm. dreaming, praying that I wanted to race in Hawaii. The first thing I did when I got to Hawaii after we got settled in and my bike got built back up, mm as I said to my wife, I got to go ride the Queen K. The Queen K mm -hmm. is where I'm going to be for a few hours. If you mm -hmm. can't find me, I'll be out there. Hmm. And I went out there. I went for a ride. I found a place to stop. Had a, had a chat with my parents. Mm -hmm. And I, I told them things like, look where I am. Can you see me? I'm in Hawaii. I'm going to be racing in the World Championships. Along, I got this you belief. Got me choked up too. <laughs> Sorry, I got this belief that you find coins on the road 
that they they fell from heaven. Hmm. That it's somebody from it's a loved one saying hi to you. And along the race, during the bike, not so mu- not so much on the bike, but I would see coins on the road. I'd point them out. Whether anybody saw me or not, I'd point it out. Mm-hmm. And then I'd say hi to my parents. Thank you for watching over me, keeping me safe. But during the run, mm-hmm. I picked up everyone that I could. And I bet I had 20 coins of various denominations saying, Thank you, Mom. Thank you, Dad. Thank you for keeping me safe. And I got—I still got them at home. Hmm. Um, but the first one I found when we first got to Hawaii, we got off the plane, we got our shuttle bus, we got our gear loaded onto the bus. I sat down not uh, right beside my left foot on the floor was a dime. <laughs> I said, Church, check this out. My dad's saying hi. And I picked it up and gave it a kiss, pointed to the six, pointed to the sky. And from that, I was the first one I found. And then uh, I picked up every other one that I picked, I found during the race. And my parents were with me. I truly believe mm-hmm. that they were with me the whole race. But it doesn't end there. After the race, mm-hmm. I, my wife and I had uh, five days of downtime, five days of sightseeing, being sure. tourists. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had drove around looking for beaches to walk on because that's that's what we like doing and we didn't we went into a resort they didn't have any beaches to walk on but they had beach paths and so we're walking along a path and people don't know lava rocks black uh people find white stones they make hearts they write their initials they say hi to so-and-so such things and we we're walking along, turned around and came back. My wife looked at me and she said, did you just notice that heart back there? And the heart was probably about six feet tall by about four feet wide. And inside it was the name Al, A-L. And I turned around and I said, no, I looked back and there was a heart there and it said Al in it. The significance of that, mm-hmm. that's my dad's name. Mm-hmm. Well, you're connecting all these together all the time. <laughs> yes. So I took a picture of it, and I had a had a few words with my with my dad, thanking him for watching me race. And yeah, well, tears were flowing when that happened. So, Tim, you truly have a threshold story of the sort that I started this off in the first place. When I created this concept with the help of my friends, people like you are the reason I wanted to do this. People like you who've gone through something that's just so unique with a background story that you're so willing to share. It's, this is the kind of stuff that, you know, changes people one soul at a time. And I can't thank you enough for being on the show. Thank you. I I appreciate, I appreciate what you do. I appreciate what you do. I appreciate you finding me because as I said to me in my, in my, in between my ears, I'm just a regular dude that does racing and Mm -hmm. I, I don't filter filter myself. What goes on in my head, it comes out my mouth, whether it be good or bad. Honesty is what I'm about, and if people like that, that's great. And that's awesome. I like to connect with people that way. Well, Tim, thanks for being on the show, and um, stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. Look for Tim on social and just stare at any world championship, and maybe he'll be there. Maybe he'll be at the intergalactic Ironman in Jupiter. <laughs> thanks, Tim. Have a good day, man. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to this chapter of Threshold Stories, Crossing Thresholds, One Story at a Time. Be ready to cross more thresholds with me in two weeks. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me directly. You can find me on LinkedIn or on my Facebook page at Jeff Gora Team USA.